0: That God is great, right? And we love Him. We're overwhelmed by His goodness and His glory. He's far more wonderful than we have even imagined together. We believe it's possible even for God to change us, that we are people who can become more Christ-like. That happens not through trying harder, not through self-effort, not by being better than someone else, but it happens through continually receiving the good news of what God has done for us. And today we want to remind ourselves of that in this way, that we are people that exist to be God's people who are under his word, making disciples for the glory of God. So these last couple of weeks, that's what we've been seeking to do is simply remind ourselves that our core identity as Christians, if we're followers of Christ here today, is not that we are individualized autonomous people anymore, but that we are a a collection of people who God has saved. And that we exist as people who have a shared authority, that we follow God's word together and seek to understand it and live in light of it. And then today we're going to talk about what it means to make disciples, and next week that all of that is for God's glory. So thus far we've just focused in on those truths that we are God's people. Our primary identity is that we're now gospel kids. And we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters, uh, perhaps unlike your family, uh, biological family, we stick by each other. We tell each other the truth. We love each other unconditionally. We drop everything the moment there's a need, and we tell each other the truth about what God has done. We share the same Father and have a great future. Isn't that good news? And that we have the same uh, authority. That authority teaches us that we have a mission and that mission is to make disciples. If we're faithful and effective as people on mission, we are going to have to think of ourselves not as the moral majority, but as the exiles who are living on the very margins of society. The sooner we embrace that as our identity, the more loving, the more gentle, the more truth speaking, the more compassionate we will become in our society at large. There was a day in America where it could be thought that Christianity is normal, but that day is long past. And my hope today is to convince you that that's true and that the less we will fight about that and the more we will embrace it, the more the gospel will spread, not less. So books like First Peter, which we studied together last year, are massively helpful to us to understand those truths. Today we're going to say that this single idea is the most important idea we could embrace in order that we could live out our evangelistic mandate, that as God's people we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So to get that down in our bones, if you will, I'm going to ask you three questions today. Uh, Number one, what is a disciple? Number two... Why make disciples? And number three, how do we do it? So, just real simply, we're going to spend our morning together on those ideas. What is a disciple? Why make disciples? And how? So, first, let's start with what is a disciple? So, to make it really clear, here's the Greek word that we get disciple from Mathetes. Everybody say really loud, Mathetes. That was not really loud. Everybody say really loud, Mathetes. There you go. Turn to the person next to you and say, Mathetes. Good job. Awesome. Now that makes it all the more clear, right? Knowing the Greek word clears it all up. Let's spend a couple of minutes thinking about what that word means. Um, Today, in this part of the country, which is not true everywhere, today here, when the word disciple is used, what image comes to mind? Not rhetorical. Say it out loud. What do you think of when you hear the word disciple? Jesus, follower. What? I heard... No? What? Radical? Discipline? The 12? Okay, all of those things are correct. None of them are what I'm looking for. (laughs) Nobody else thinks people on bikes with white shirts and ties? No. Are you paying attention to where you live? And who's out there communicating that they're a disciple? All right? Um, We have uh, a group of people that are present in this part of the country in a really significant way called Mormons. All right? They're very active in sharing their message, and they uh, claim to carry the same message. So what is it that makes Christianity unique? What is it, who is it that is a disciple, a methetes of Jesus? Well, when you think of the word disciple, everything that you've said is, is truthful, And that's what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner, is a follower, is somebody who gives their life over to be modeled after somebody else. If we were Jews living in the first century, we would have understood the message as something more like this, okay? This is a picture taken uh, in Israel and that thingy on that guy's head has little scrolls, little pieces of paper wrapped up with scriptures on them. In Deuteronomy 6, it says to tie them on your forehead, meaning the commands of God. If you interpret that literally, then that's what you end up with, is a little box on your head with scriptures in them. You see the little kids in the front? Okay, those are disciples. These are kids who have gathered around a disciple and are listening to them. And their lives, everything about their lives, is shaped by the fact that they're following that rabbi as their disciple. That shawl he has is is a prayer shawl. And after they finished reading the Torah, reading the law together, they pulled that prayer shawl over. You may have heard Jesus say in the Gospels that you pray in secret, and that's what they do. So none of you have things on your foreheads. None of you have prayer shawls. None of you have... Um, a rabbi that you're following? Or do you? Who is it that we're disciples of? It's we're disciples of Jesus. Everywhere we go, we have people telling us to be my disciple. Now, of course, they're not using that word, but there's disciples of everything, everything. There are disciples of college professors. There are disciples of sports teams. They're disciples of artists and musicians. They're just disciples of the popular kids at school. There's disciples of certain business models and brands and writers and hobbies. There's disciples of everything. A rabbi is simply someone who says, do this, live like this, and you will have life to its fullest. Discipleship, as we call it in the church, is everywhere. A disciple is not someone with nominal adherence to, to somebody else. It's somebody who gives their life over to become like them. It's someone who says, I understand and agree with your teaching, Rabbi, and I will follow you. The goal is not simply to know what my Rabbi knows, but to do what my Rabbi does. There's a saying, an ancient saying, that is, I want to be covered in the dust of my Rabbi. What does that mean? It means, We people that live in the desert get the image, right? Did you see the dust yesterday? Yuck. You're breathing that in. Uh, The saying means I want to follow so closely behind my rabbi that I'm covered in the stuff that he kicks up, that my life is defined by his life. And I can't think of myself as different than or apart from what Jesus has made me to be. Jesus extends that invitation. The invitation is that we would become his disciples, that he offers the very best kind of life, and that living as his disciple will mean not only am I made in right relationship with my Father in heaven, but now I'm in right relationship with people too. And that the quality of the relationships we share in the church, as a church family, are so different than what's available in the world that people would be attracted to that. That they would ask us questions about how can you live that way in light of who Jesus is. That's the invitation that Jesus gives. Come and follow me. And it's true that that invitation is the invitation to the best possible way of life. But that's not necessarily the easiest way of life, right? So Jesus also said things like this. Look in your Bible if you turn to Luke 14. Luke 14. To verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus' invitation to follow him is an invitation to life and to joy and to freedom. It's an invitation to come away from the wrath of God into the grace and the compassion of God. But it's also an invitation that has demands, not demands to earn that relationship, but to live with solidarity under the king. So Jesus said this kind of stuff all the time. Look down at verse 33. He says it again in a different way. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The invitation to follow Jesus, to have him as your rabbi, is not an invitation to have God as your genie. You don't simply rub his belly and get whatever you want. The, the invitation is not to have your best life now. It's not even merely to go to heaven when you die. The invitation is to take on Jesus' way of life, to live as he lived. When Jesus said, follow me, in essence, he means come to me and die. He means, die to your selfish desires. Die to your attempts to make yourself acceptable to God. Die to your quest to find life and joy apart from me. I died so that you can live. But in order to live, you've got to die too. That's the invitation of the gospel. Now that's an invitation that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Try talking to somebody about that who doesn't hold the same worldview that you do. You'll find that it's a bit of a challenge. So why make disciples of Jesus, we've got to ask? Why do that? Well, the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3, 16. All you football fans probably saw it this weekend because invariably someone carries it as a banner, wears it as a shirt, and for some reason thinks... If you plastered at a football game, then everybody will respond. So John 3.16, why make disciples of Jesus? Let's consider what that very famous verse says, break it down into parts and see why this is the message, why we ought to live in light of who Jesus is. Would you read it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So why make disciples of Jesus among the, the hundreds if not thousands of people and things and worldviews and stuff that we are communicated to, follow me, be my disciple, I'll give you life. Why is it that Jesus stands out head and shoulders above the rest? Well, let's just take it in phrases. For God so loved the world. Friend, if you're here today and you're not a disciple of Jesus, the very best news you could possibly hear is that God loves the world. The very best news there is, is that God loves you. You've been told that you are intrinsically lovable. You've been given the message hundreds of times this week that your problem is not that you love yourself too much, but that you love yourself too little. You've been told that the difficulties are out there, not in here. You've been urged to believe self-esteem is your hope, your ticket to joy and freedom. The message of the world is just believe in yourself. But my friend, God says that's a lie. God says that's bad news. God says that's anti-gospel. In a world that promises life but will only lead you to emptiness... Far more importantly, that message will lead you to death. The truth is that there's a good, holy, all-powerful, eternal God who loves you. He's merciful and powerful. He's just and forgiving. And despite lots of reasons not to, despite our rejection of Him, God loves the world. God is love. Isn't that great news? God's love is not the mushy, lust-filled, temporary infatuation that we call love today. His love is a display of mercy and sacrifice. Friends, people need God's love. Do you feel that? Does that have weight on you? Do you feel your own need for love? Are we allowed to talk about feelings? There's so much heartache and pain in the world. Apart from God, existence is miserable. I, more than any other time in the last five years we've lived here, am am amazed at the brokenness that's all around us. Everywhere you go, every day, You're surrounded by people who are seeking life apart from God. And it's an empty pursuit. It will not work. People need God. People need the love of God. Apart from God, we're hopeless to do any spiritual good on our own. Apart from God, I have to deal with the consequences of my actions on my own. Apart from God, I'm forced to worship people and things, things that can't possibly bear that kind of weight. Apart from God, I will endlessly look for ways to find my identity and joy and hope in things that cannot provide it. Friends, uh, evangelism or the mission of sharing the gospel starts not with a sense of duty or obligation to it, It starts with a personal experience of finding the love of God effective in your own life. If you're not sharing the gospel much, it might be because you've forgotten your own need. It might be because you've drifted from the love of God that's given to you. It's a message of love that we seek to share. And it's got to come from a heart convinced that God is love. So why make disciples? We make disciples disciples because we're convinced that God is love and that he has a love that he's demonstrated and shown. And it's a love that we can announce to others. So for God to love the world, the next part of the phrase is that he gave his only son. I wonder maybe to the youth or even the college student in the room, how many of you get an allowance from mama or daddy uncle or brother? How many of you get an allowance? A little bit off and on. I see some of this going on. Okay. What's an allowance? What's an allowance? <laughs> Free money. Okay. Maybe it'd be easier to ask it this way. How many of you go will go to work this week? Hopefully most people in the room. Okay. Uh, you're going to work simply out of your good-natured heart for the common good, right? (laughs) Nope. Uh, You're going to work to get what? A paycheck. So you're going tomorrow or sometime this week with the confidence that if you will do what's asked of you, then you'll be given something in return. You'll be given a wage. You expect payment. You expect to to be given what it is that you've earned. In a sense, that's exactly why Jesus came to the world. Jesus came because there was a wage that was due. There was a payment needed. The Bible tells us that the universe belongs to God, that we're not people free to do whatever we want, that we live in God's world, that He made it, that He's laid claim on it, that it belongs to Him. But universally, we've failed to do that. Every single one of us here has taken really good things that God gave us to enjoy and turned them into objects of worship. So things like sex and work and exercise, food, appearance, kids, school, art, hobbies, finding a spouse. We've taken good things and turned them into ultimate things. We've made them gods of our own making. And God says that's not acceptable. In a word, that's called sin. And the wages we've earned, the paycheck, if you will, that we're given at the end of life for those decisions is death, physical and spiritual. So why make disciples of Jesus? Because Jesus is the only one who will pay that debt for you. He's the only one who says... I will cancel out your debts and give you life instead. Among all the religious systems that exist in the world, Christianity is the only one that says that. It's the only one that says the very person, the very being you're responsible to will meet your debt for you. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. That's great news. That's why we make disciples of Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him. It's the next part of the phrase. Notice that this message that we are to share is both universal and particular. It's universal in what way? That phrase we just read together says, Whosoever, it's not a message bound to you if you've only done these particular bad things that God can choose to forgive. It's not a message that can have an ability to be not be overcome by something that you've done. It's not a message for a particular group of people who happen to look a certain way or dress a certain way or have a particular amount of money or a certain religious or ethical or educational background. It's not a racial message only for certain ethnic peoples. It's a message for everybody, everywhere. Whosoever will come to God can have life. So it's not particular. It's universal in who its design is for. Anyone who will acknowledge that Jesus came, died, and rose again, anyone who will... Admit their failures. Anyone who will pledge their life to Jesus can be given new life. Do you smell that? Wow. Everybody take that in. That's cookies, isn't it? Wow. You don't think it's cookies? Brownies? Mmm. 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 Ah. Suddenly, oh, <laughs> um, that, my friends, is college lunch. If you are in college, you get to feast on that in a bit. It's very hard to talk to you about the gospel with that going on. So it is a message that is universal. And friends, the the church, the church, not a subset, not particular people, not those of you who like talking to people who aren't like you. The church, all of us, have been given the command to share that message both here and to the very ends of the earth. I'm thrilled to be in a church that's committed to both. Thank you for that. Whosoever will believe in Him. It's universal, but it's also particular. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He's given us a way to be right with Him, but He's only given one way. He's given a way. That makes the gospel particular. There's only one way to be made right with God, And while not popular, that's not something we need to be ashamed of or apologetic about. Jesus has said, here's a way to be right with God, and it's through me. C.S. Lewis, many of you have read him, said this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying this really foolish thing that people so often say about him, referring to Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I can't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else he was a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not deny, let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. Isn't that great? We live at a time when people want to say, I will pick and choose some of the good things Jesus said, and he said a lot of great things. But I certainly won't take him to be my king, to be my Lord and Savior. I certainly won't bow my sense of autonomous self before him. But you can't have Jesus as a great teacher and not have him as Savior. And you can't have him as Savior and not have him as Lord. Friends, to believe in Jesus is to accept him as Savior and Lord. That he died in your place and that... He rose from the dead as God who's claiming victory over sin, death, and the devil. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, the verse finishes with this, should not perish but have eternal life. We share Jesus because it is through him that life is available. We believe in Jesus, we can quit hiding behind our sin. We can stop searching for saviors everywhere else. We can stop pretending. We can quit being on the quest to find life in being a disciple of other things. Life from God is a gift. Mark says you get this gift simply by putting your trust in Jesus and turning from your sins. So why do we make disciples of Jesus? Well, he's the only one who has the ability to to come through on their promise to make us people of life. Have you seen a beer commercial recently? What does a beer commercial promise you? It promises you life. It promises you, if you will simply drink me, then suddenly all the fat people around you will be transformed into skinny beauty queens. (laughs) Your ineptness will go away. Your fear of people will dissolve. That's what it promises you, right? It says, if you will be my disciple... If you will take me in and live me out, then you'll have life. That new car commercial you saw recently, what did it promise you? It promises you life. If you will buy me, ride in me, roll your windows down and wave to others that you have me, then the loser that you are will go away. That's what it's promising you. What did the... Recent weight loss commercial, promise you. Promised you life. If you will simply take me, have a particular shape, then everything about you will be better. Friends, we can go on and on and on and on and on. We're not being sold products, we're being sold a lie. Jesus is the only one that follows through in his promise. The only one. That's why we seek to make disciples of Him. Because we're convinced as people that God has loved the world. And He loved the world so much that He gave His Son. And that Son died and rose again. And it's a crazy message, isn't it? Really? You believe that a a person came from heaven, became a man didn't give up being God, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rose over victory, said, I'll never leave you, then floated up to heaven, and now reigns as king. That sounds a bit nuts, doesn't it? Frankly, it is a bit nuts, unless it's true. And we believe it's true. That's why we make disciples. Now, how? In our remaining couple of minutes together, I'd like to describe the how in two things, two ways. One, we want to be people who make disciples by speaking gospel words, and we want to be a gospel people. How is it that we as a church think about the task of evangelism or of making a disciple? Well, we believe it's got to include both of those things, that one without the other is insufficient, that we need both. We need both to speak the gospel and to live in light of the gospel. Let's start with the first one, speak gospel words. Friends, the gospel is a word to be spoken. It's good news to be shared. It's an invitation to come and follow Jesus. If you don't speak it, it will not be heard. You cannot show the gospel. It's very common to talk that way today, and it's monstrously dangerous. You can show the effects of the gospel. You can demonstrate a changed life. You can do good to others, but you can't show them the gospel. It's impossible. It is a message that has to be shared. I'm all for relational evangelism, and we've invested massive resources as a church into that way of doing ministry. Gen- but generally speaking, handing out tracts to random people is not likely to do a lot of good in this particular culture. And standing on the mall at ASU and yelling at them isn't going to do much but bring laughter either. But despite the fact we say you've got to get to know people and demonstrate care for them and help them and be good neighbors, all of that Doesn't amount to sharing the gospel unless you speak words. There's a very famous uh, saying um, preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. The man that that's attributed to likely didn't say it. He gave his life over to speaking the gospel. The gospel's a word to be spoken, without that, it can't be believed. But it's not just a word we speak. It's also a reality to live in light of. So if we speak the message, but our lifestyles are completely different, people have an uncanny ability to sniff that out really fast, don't they? So we've got to both speak it and live it. Francis Schaeffer put it this way. One cannot explain the explosive dynamite of the early church apart from the fact that they practiced two things simultaneously, orthodoxy of doctrine and orthodoxy of community in the midst of the visible church, a community which the world could see. By God's grace, the church therefore must be known simultaneously for its purity of doctrine and the reality of community. Our churches have so often been only preaching points with very little emphasis on community. But exhibition of the love of God in practice is beautiful and must be there. That is so important for us to grasp that as a faith family, that we want to believe the message and speak the message. But apart from it being evidenced as real in actual people, likely very few will come to put their faith in it. Why? Because there's a million messages out there. Why should we believe this one over some other message? Many people that don't know God will come to know God because they see it. They see the real life effects of it. And then they're willing to listen to it. So we've got to do both as a faith family. So at the gym, in your fourth grade classroom, over the dinner table, on vacation, at work, on the light rail, in the bar, everywhere... We want to be people that are personally watching, praying, listening, observing, being actually present in the moments we're in, not with our faces in our phones, but looking at the people around us, praying for opportunities to build relationships and to speak the gospel, to involve people in our lives. We always want to be doing that. Our friends, many of you will remember, Max and Sarah Stabenow, uh, are now, they've moved to San Francisco and are attending Golden Gate Seminary. They used to talk about this as a waving faith flags. And that concept is really helpful to our gospel community. They worked for a ministry called Apartment Life, which was a fantastic ministry. I would um, encourage any of you who would like a tangible, practical way to serve people to consider it. Basically, they put you in an apartment You put on events to minister to the apartment complex. The apartment complex retains more people. Therefore, they get more money. And you get opportunities to build relationships with people and communicate the gospel. We've had a number of people in church on Mill do it and seen great things happen as a result of it. But they served in this ministry and they talked about how do you go from uh, the conversations of everyday life to speaking the truth, Of the gospel. For a lot of us, those are worlds apart, correct? It's like standing on the north rim of the Grand Canyon versus the south rim. You're looking at the same thing, but from completely different vantage points. How is it that that happens? Well, an easy way to to find and to build conversation towards the gospel is to throw out faith flags, which is simply looking for simple ways to bring up spiritual things. So I'm going to physical therapy right now, which I just love. It's such a delight. And you know what they ask me every Friday when I'm there? So what are you doing this weekend? Well, all I have to say is one of the things I get to do is hang out with my church family. What is that? It's a faith flag. They may respond to that and say, as some have, really? You do that? Or... um, you know, I've gotten away from that. Who, who's your church? Or why would you do that? And I didn't beat them over the head of the Bible. I responded to their question. What are you doing this weekend? There are so many ways throughout the day that you can do that. And you don't have to be a weird freak. You can simply throw a little faith flag out and see if they take it. That's a very easy way to begin gospel conversations. There are, of course, more formal ways to go about that. And we'd love to tell you one of those. Recently in our members meeting, Sonia and Carla shared a story of something that happened over the summer and they are going to now come and tell you about that. So if you weren't here, then you get to share in the message that was shared at the last members meeting and I hope this encourages you to come to the next. Come on up, give them a hand.
1: This is Sonia and Carla. Tell us what happened. Okay. So um, this past summer, um, I went to Andrea Heaton, our Children's and Preschool Director, and I asked her how I could serve in some other way. And so we sat down and talked about how I would be the summer intern this past summer for Church on Mill, working with the Preschool and Children's Ministries and... Um, I uh, was challenged to write my own, like, um, lesson plan, lesson plan, like, because I haven't done that before, so, um, for different ages, and so I asked if any of the families would like to have, um, like, a Bible study for their children and any of their children's friends, so we called it Summers with Sonia, and I offered this, and... Uh, The Roberts family, they um, asked me to come to their home for their children one afternoon and just spend a few hours with their kids um, sharing the gospel with them and what God would have for them living in relationship with um, him. And so I went, and it was really amazing. I had a great time. Um, We had about eight or nine children come at their home, and um, it was really cool because they um, started to ask questions after I shared with them and it, it seemed to be going well because they were asking more and more questions about what I had presented to them. And so this spurred something really amazing. So I'll let Carla share that. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, it's pretty awesome because God started this before I think she started talking with um, Andrea. Um, we've been in our house about a year. And we've lived overseas and worked. And my husband's been a pastor. We moved here. I knew what he was supposed to do, and he knew what he was supposed to do, but what was I supposed to do? I was mom, took care of my kids, took them to school, away from school, um, and God said there's more. And I didn't know what. Was it with women? Was it with children? And he let me know it was with children. He used one of my children to tell me that. Uh, My daughter, Sarah, one day said, Mom, when are you going to teach us more about the Bible? (laughs) Go to seminary. (laughs) Um, um, So we try to teach our kids about the Bible, but she obviously wanted something more tangible. And um, I didn't know what to do because I was busy. I didn't have enough time, but God said, you're going to do it. And um, so I just prayed about it. And soon after that, I heard that Sonia wanted to do summers with Sonia. That took the load off of me. All I had to do was open my house up. She did the work. Um, my my, My kids did the work. I didn't do anything but open my house and say, bring the kids in. And um, she came, they invited friends, eight or nine kids, and they did have some awesome questions. Half the kids never go to church. They didn't know who God was. One of them said, who put God in charge? That's where they are. And it was amazing they didn't shut down. They weren't afraid to ask questions. And um, after Sonia um, came, my kids said, are we going to do it again? Yeah. (laughs) It just won't be with Sonia, it'll be with me. Um, And I was okay with that But as it it got closer to summer And we needed to do it um, I got a little nervous I didn't want to do it by myself Too much responsibility Too much pressure Um, And God knew that I came to church one Sunday And he put someone in front of me And he said, ask her (laughs) She'll help Carol Baldwin didn't know That's what I was coming to ask her But I did And she said I haven't worked with kids in a long time But okay I've been wondering What can I do Um, so God put all this together it wasn't me and mostly what we have to do when we're discipling people is just look for what God is doing and obey him when he puts it in front of you don't walk away Um, if we know what is right and we do it it's not sin but if we do if we don't do it it's sin and um, he made the way for it to happen we met all through summer they wanted to keep it going so now we meet after school one day a week Mm -hmm. they keep coming there have been a couple extra kids come we have a couple moms who stay. One is a Christian, and her goal was to reach our community, too. Hmm. Um, the other mom didn't know God, didn't know Christ. She's been seeking and wanting to know. And she left two different times. I wasn't there one time, and she said, You know, I get it. I get what you're talking about. And last week she said, I don't know if my kids are hearing this, but I hear what you're saying, and it's really helping me understand. And another mom went, and she wanted to come, but she always had something else to do, and she said, You know, I went and got a Bible so that I could read it with my son, because he's been coming and he really likes it. Hmm. So I don't know where it's going to go. It really doesn't matter, because I'm just one little, I'm just one little piece of the puzzle. Hmm. Um, and so are you. You're just one piece of the puzzle. And all you have to do is just be willing to, whatever God puts in front of you, you just live it, and let Him decide how it's going to fall out. It's, it's not our choice how it falls.
0: Yeah.
2: Awesome. Thanks.
0: So in in closing, we try to to think about this task of making disciples at at three different levels. One is what you just heard. It's the individual, everyday stuff of life uh, where there's no formal big program that's headed out from the church, but us taking responsibility to share the gospel with the people that God brings us. You may end up with a bunch of kids in your house. If that's what God brings, fantastic. If, if it's somewhere else, that's fantastic. But taking a missionary posture to the stuff of everyday life in order to communicate the gospel. Then there's that middle section, which is our gospel communities. If you're not in one, real quick, here's what those are. These are groups of people who regularly meet to care for one another, encourage each other, talk about the messages, pray, and then as a group to seek to serve some group of people outside our church walls in order to gain opportunities to demonstrate the effects of the gospel and communicate it to them. And then finally, there's when we gather together and we literally do not ever meet a single time without attempting to articulate the truth of what Jesus came and did in order that we could have life. And so i got to end there. If you're here today and you've never responded to this message, then... I hope you will. I hope before you leave, you will acknowledge that you've sought to go your own way and that it hasn't worked and that you will submit to God and find his grace and his forgiveness and his love for you. After I read a scripture and we go, some of the staff, gospel community leaders will be here at the front. We would acknowledge uh, a deep desire to pray with you and hear about what God's doing in your life. Or it might be that there's somebody you need to go and share with the gospel with, and you know it, and you're scared. Maybe we could pray with you about that. As you go, would you stand with me? I know of no better way to send us out today than the end of Matthew. Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age."